0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by Sake Man, a group of sake superheroes bringing sake to the world.
1: Hey there, HRN listeners. This is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears. I know that news about COVID-19 and the coronavirus has made a lot of people nervous about getting sick. This collective unease has already had a big impact on our restaurant and food communities, especially in New York's Chinatowns. We hope that now more than ever, our listeners will join us in supporting restaurants and the hospitality industry at large. Many of the restaurants we love are small, independent businesses. That means that even one or two bad weeks can put them in jeopardy of cutting staff, limiting hours, or even having to close for good. As long as we're still able, we should go out to eat and support our favorite restaurants. I think it's also great to remember that hospitality professionals are really good at hygiene and food safety practices. Long before there were guides all over the news about how to properly wash your hands, they were already experts at hygiene. Guests' health is tantamount to successful hospitality in any restaurant. And even if you don't want to go out, you can still support restaurants by ordering delivery, buying gift cards, and giving them some extra love on social media. What better way to handle a crisis than by supporting those in our own community? If we don't support them now, they might not be there when this crisis is over. Join HRN in supporting restaurants during this time, especially our friends in Chinatowns around the country. Thanks for listening.
0: So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, load. No. knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The oh. in that rhythm blues. That it's gonna get you.
2: The end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. I'm Greg Benson. Hey, Greg, how are you, bud? I'm good, man. The world's on fire, but it's springtime in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite. Uh, you know? Did you know March 21st, the solstice? Solstice? It's not. No, that's not equinox. the equinox. 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 That's um, Amori Margo's ninth birthday. What? Happy yeah.
3: early birthday, man. Yeah. You guys. So. It's the it's the ninth anniversary of the that that fun little bitters pop up that's on
2: Six, Six <laughs> yeah, Street right still popping, <laughs> <laughs> haven't popped down yet still popping hard, yeah. uh, hard enough to open another one. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, man! Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, didn't didn't even think of that until you said the word spring. Yeah, uh, you know we don't celebrate that stuff. We just open up and do our business every day. That's sort our of thing. That's fair.
3: Not gonna have like a little cake made with like a shitload of fernet bronca or something no super
2: bitter cake i call it the mr rogers rule i was a big fan of that show when i was a kid and even as an adult and the last did you happen to see the very last episode of the mr rogers show i think i did but but do you know what he did at the very end of the very last show ever couldn't tell you yeah he changed his shoes and his fucking sweater like every other fucking day there you go man right so that's what we do (laughs) we just open up and do our thing every day we don't celebrate our birthday christmas new years we just do our thing sweet it's the mr rogers rule what have you been up to? Um I listened to your latest episode it's amazing. Oh, thank you man. Thank you very much. I think much. it's my favorite
3: one so far. I'm super proud of how that one turned out. I really like it. Hemingway. Um, yeah, the Hemingway dacery. And not just because it's always fun to direct an actor playing Ernest Hemingway which is always a blast. Um but just because there were s- like such two very interesting, like intense but diametrically opposed personalities there behind that drink. It's kind of, uh, you know, what what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just a, a real a real blast to work on.
2: Um, well, don't... I'm not going to give anything away because I think people should go listen to it, but I like the conclusions that you came to at the end regarding the two gentlemen in question. Um, it was a great episode.
3: Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Like, I, I really
2: do enjoy Bar None Podcast, your show. It's great.
3: Available wherever fine podcasts are found. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, that's great.
3: Yeah, man, and uh, we got uh, an amazing lineup of bands in for. Uh, we just got the the rest of the lineup set for the month at the Illegal Pop Up that's on St. Marks, uh, including every Friday we have Tractor Supply Company in, which is a Delta blues band that yeah. just murders it, and it's a ton of fun. Like last Friday, we were working, we were a little. It was a it was a little bit of a slow start because it was still cold and everybody's afraid. And we were a little bit <laughs> concerned, and then it was one of these like zero to sixty. It's like nine o'clock. It was pretty empty. Nine fifteen, when the band started, full. Couldn't move. Like yeah. literally, could not move from behind the bar to the front door. Had to go around the back way to get anything you possibly needed that wasn't within arm's reach.
2: Amazing.
3: Yeah, it was great. It's a good time.
2: Yeah, and, that space is that space is really fun when it's cranking.
3: Yeah, is it is it is it smaller than your bar, Southern?
2: I mean, you'd know better than I, the square footage, <laughs> it seems it, it's very, it's definitely thinner, but it might be longer, exactly, so square footage wise, it might be similar, but it's, yeah, we're in competition for smaller, exactly,
3: I'll, br- I'll bring a tape measure next time I'm working tomorrow, and we'll, we'll sort this out once and for all,
2: cool, <laughs> well, let's talk to our guests, we've got a lot of people in the studio today, so we've got a lot, plenty to talk about today, um, we're going to be hanging out with uh, Matt Piacentini, yes or no, yes, all right, nice. Matt P- uh my dear friend Chaim uh, Dowerman, uh, and uh, my new friend Allie Martin from the Up and Up in uh, um, what's the neighborhood you're in?
4: Greenwich. Really. In
2: Greenwich, yeah. Um, uh, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff that goes on over there. Welcome to the studio, guys. Thanks, thank you. Don't forget, here. it's radio. You can talk into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> no one can see us, so you can't just nod your head. Um, happy to have you guys on. Um, up and Up is coming up on its fifth anniversary, speaking all, of anniversaries. All, already passed. Oh, yeah, it did? Yep. Son of a bitch. Yep. I, I, I'm going to dig through my email. I must have missed my invite.
4: <laughs> I, I mean, I guess it's a bit of a Mr. Rogers rule with us as well. I mean, we we talked about it on social media, but we didn't do anything in the bar. We just, in fact, I didn't even tell anybody that it was the day until like two minutes before the end of the night. I don't, I don't even think the staff knew working that night. Right. There's
5: also a little bit of internal back and forth about what the actual day is, whether or not you count soft opening.
2: I feel like b- bars aren't human beings. You know, you can kind of flub that number. I, I'm pretty sure if I really dug hard into the data, I think I'm more opened on the 17th. I think we opened on St. Patrick's Day. But we sort of call it the 21st. as the yeah, It's e-bar. more like opening week. For yeah, us. something like that. I do remember seeing your social media regarding the fact that the drink that was named after me is no longer on the menu. It's true.
4: It's true. In fact, I just found out we don't even have the flasks to flask it up anymore. Oh, man. I wanted to uh, flask something up to bring here, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's so uh, we can't even make it if we wanted to. God, oh. I forgot we, we did that, naming drinks after bartenders. Yeah, we had a whole eating. menu of bartender-named right. drinks.
2: Oh, then I don't feel so bad anymore. I thought I was the only one.
4: Well, there were only three or four.
2: Yeah, all right.
4: And yours was the only one in a flask.
5: Honestly, so. we wanted to serve that drink, and then we came up with the section of the menu just to justify. That's actually, that that that
4: that is drink. actually true.
2: There we go. So well, that makes me feel better. Um, well, cool guys. Uh, uh, t- tell us, tell the listener about the Up and Up because I don't. You guys have you? We we talked before the show. You you haven't been on the show since before the Up and Up existed. Long before 2013, yeah. you were on the show. Last I was, I was here. Yeah. With Damon. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about the Up and Up. Tell us what 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 it's all about. What it's what the message is.
5: Matt. Well, the Up and Up is a really intimate little cocktail den down uh, in a basement on rowdy Gross McDougal Street in Greenwich Village. Uh, <laughs> sort of an oasis away from the sights, smells, sounds of uh, one of the last areas of Manhattan that's still pretty like it was in the late 70s. Uh, the space actually used to be the Gaslight Cafe, uh, famous. Right, super for, famous. Yeah. And then after that, it was the Scrap Bar, which is in that neighborhood and almost more famous than the Gaslight was. But... Um,
2: well, the Gaslights were like a lot of cool 60s bands played, right?
5: Yeah. Dylan has an album, Live at the Gaslight. 66, right. yeah. Um, but uh, the point of the up and up is just supposed to be a really nice place to go get a really great cocktail and a really nice space and kind of not be, not be overly bothered by anything else than good drinks, good company.
2: Yeah. And you're pretty, you're pretty uh, well versed in in that sort of communication of of message because you have a hand in in a really well known bar on the on the West Coast too, right? Clyde uh, Common. Yeah, yeah, Clyde common. That's right. Which is constantly winning awards.
5: For sure, yeah, it's great.
2: So I'm sure you guys are sort of striving for the same sort of sense of sense of place and sense of sense of service.
5: Yeah, I mean at the Clyde, it's a little more anything goes because it's uh, also just a big restaurant, all the communal tables. Up and Ups very much a seated, you know, more, um, sort of intimate service style, but the same amount of kind of not over, not taking yourself too seriously and just kind of letting the product speak for itself.
2: How does that go over in that neighborhood? You know, I'm over in the East village and I'm nine doors down from death and company and they hold the door, right? 48 seats means 48 people. And then the door gets held. Um, and you guys do the same program over there, which is much more, I think busy, lots of folks on the street, like. Do you get, uh, is there a blowback? I mean, five years in, you you probably adjusted to it, but like, do you get blowback?
5: Oh, for sure. I'll actually let Heim talk about that, because he's, he's the one who really came up with the whole door, door protocol.
2: Yeah. Uh, at first, it was a little
4: awkward when we opened five years ago, because uh, people didn't know we were there, and people who went to McDougal Street to look for bars weren't really familiar with the kind of bar that we were. We were encountering people who had never heard of a cocktail bar, had never heard of the idea of uh, a seated only bar, could never imagine the idea of a wait list to get into a bar. Uh, So there would be times where we were almost empty and were having to turn away something that might be a 15 top, but they couldn't really tell us for sure. Um, And it was tough. Um, But now that our reputation is, is... there, and honestly, we're hard enough to find that people don't accidentally find us anyway. (laughs) Um, We really, uh, uh, it's sort of, it's a refuge for people who live in the neighborhood who just want a nice place. It's a stopover for people who come to the neighborhood for a specific purpose, whether it's to have dinner. Uh, at Manetta Tavern, or whether it's to go to a show at the Comedy Cellar, they know that we're there, and we become an essential part of that of that sort of uh, a
2: little uh, ecosystem that's going on. Yeah.
4: Um, so I think that we've succeeded in being kind of an exception on McDougal as far as what kind of experience people are going to have.
2: I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. I didn't even think of that. You're 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 just a, you're just down the street from Manetta. You're kind of right on top of the Comedy Cellar. You're just around the corner from what's it called Black Cat, the music venue, right? Like that mm-hmm. that area is like a little, you know, it's got something for everyone.
4: Mm-hmm. It attracts a lot of people.
2: So right. I feel like that that's just that statement makes it seem like that fits in, right? Something for everyone. So mm-hmm. I think you're, you're big, for the person who wants a little bit more reserved, maybe quiet experience.
5: Yeah, I think that's a big part of its success. is, uh, And it's something that really I think we came to realize long after the fact as to why The bar works so well there is that that area is surrounded by so many different types of people doing so many different types of things that the actual audience around there is super broad is where other neighborhoods that we've had bars in have had really, you know, a homogenous kind of group of people that are all looking for the same thing. And if you're not exactly that, there's really just not enough support.
2: But how do you how do you so I'm the opposite. Right, you guys have all been to my bar. Or maybe some of the listeners have been there as well. We never hold the door. We pack that place for like mm-hmm. sardines. I tell people it's like bartending on the L train at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning, always.
0: Mm-hmm. Right,
2: and that's that's a choice I made because I want I want the room to seem like a party. I want the room to seem like boisterous and full at all times. And also, I'm, I'm a business. I want the money. Like, how do you, as a business operator, justify saying? I'm gonna not let people stand. I'm gonna not. I'm gonna hold the door.
4: Well, it's it's a hard decision to make. Yeah. Leaving money on the table. In in the early days when we were maybe really slow midweek, um, it was kind of hard. There were times where uh, and this is before Ali joined us, and, and and there were times where Matt and I would look at each other and we'd be like, you know, if it's like this in another four months, we might have to turn this into a different kind of place, um, because uh, uh, it's hard to keep people out. Yeah. But what we planned for and what we wanted is to attract Tuesday drinkers. We wanted to attract people who aren't just weekend warriors but are going out to a bar is a part of how they live their, their everyday life. Uh, it's a place where they want to get together with a friend, where they want to uh, bring their family. Um, and we want it to be the kind of place that's welcoming to that kind of person who's not looking for a party. And our goal and our hope was that if we provided a place where um, the busiest moment on a Saturday was indistinguishable from the busiest moment on a Monday for from the guest's perspective, that we would create a ambiance that was consistent enough that people would feel comfortable trying to stop by any day. Um, and, uh, in the long term, that strategy I think has been re- rewarded, uh, by the fact that, uh, we're, we're, we're on a weight basically every night.
2: Yeah. And that's great. I mean, I think, uh, and you, you didn't have to crack the egg. You just had to make the omelet, right? There's plenty of bars that have already set this precedent, especially here in New York city where there's, you know, we hold the door, we get to a certain level and we hold the door. Um, so oh. I think, and I think that's great, right? You you create an environment where I think I can say to myself or I can I can point guests who ask me for, for that sort of experience towards you, mm-hmm. right? You want something that's like I can still ha- have an intimate conversation with whomever I'm with. It's not going to be crazy loud. There's not going to be people behind me bumping into mm-hmm. me, passing drinks, money, menus over me. Mm-hmm. And right? if I someone that's says the thing, to that's me, the part I love. if someone
4: says to one of us, hey, you know, why aren't there more people here? Where's the louder music? Can you turn that music up? Can you put this song on? we're able to say, you know, that's just not what we do. Um, yeah. It's not what this bar is because we know that uh, there are plenty of, there are more than enough people who come to us for what we are that we can make those decisions. Yeah, And, you know, granted, the decision to be that
5: kind of place was really made by the guests more than it was made by us. When sure. we were building it, the design was, because of McDougal Street, we didn't know exactly how people were gonna take it, we wanted to be ready to go the other way, if that's what it was gonna be. There was a lot of open space. Uh, We had, you know, things like vodka sodas on tap, a lot more beer, uh, you know, and if that's what people would've wanted, then we maybe wouldn't have the sort of door-seated-only policy, but it became obvious, like from day one, people wanted cocktails. Everyone wanted the thing that took the longest time to make, that required the highest level of service and responding to them is why we decided, okay, no standing room, seated only. Uh, So really the the people decided what
4: kind of bar.
2: Yeah. I always say, I always say plan your work, work your plan and be flexible. Meaning you can, you can set up everything the exact way you want it, but when the guests come in, they're going to tell you what they want. Right.
4: We were, we were definitely ready to pivot. And when we opened, we expected that our cocktail sales would maybe make up about 60% of our sales. And uh, from day one, it's been ninety. And that's incredible. First couple of weeks, we were really eye-opening for us because we had a lot of a lot of heavy hitters in the industry coming through, a lot of cocktail nerds coming through. It was very the response to our bar was uh, hitting a very specific niche, specific type of 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 uh, guest and a kind of very specific sort of intellectual headspace within the industry and i think that definitely formed what we we very quickly became and the door how the door is run the seated only aspect of it is something that grew up around being able to provide the experience that people had said they
2: wanted from us or at least expressed that they wanted in some way well, that's great. Um, all right, this is a great time to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back, and we'll keep talking to the team from the up and up. We're gonna get—we uh, got some stuff on the table. Looks like Allie's gonna make us some drinks, Ooh. so we'll be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Sake Man. What is Sake Man? Sake men are judo athletes wearing lucha libre inspired masks that act as sake heroes. This team of athletes moonlight as sake educational professionals spreading sake to the world. Learn more about their mission and their favorite sake's at sake to the world.com. That's sake to the world.com.
2: And we are back. Welcome back to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, We're hanging out with the team from Up and Up uh, in Greenwich Village. Uh, Allie looks like you got some drinks over there to make for us. Uh, Yeah. And your your position at the Up and Up is head bartender. Yeah. Uh huh. How long you been there?
6: Um, I've been at the Up and Up for three years. Almost definitely met. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Almost
2: three years. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, so what'd you bring for us? Talk to us about it.
6: Um, so for I have the mezcal safe cracker. Um, so kind of a Negroni variation. Um. Campari, mezcal, uh, Ancho Reyes uh, Verde. It's a little green, a little earthy, a little bitter.
2: Um, and the Safe Cracker. I feel like that name sounds familiar. Has that one been on for a while? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because your menu has some some drinks that have been on for a while, and then of course you have some ones that you switch out, just like every place, right? I got three three menu items that are always on.
4: I think so. I mean, I think there's some people that do these huge full menu flips, um, which uh, we very early on found that that I mean, that was sort of against our philosophy. Was we kind of wanted to uh, really have drinks that were familiar to people I have this theory of cocktail menus that the best menu is the one you never need to change um, yeah I kind of
2: so I kind of subscribe to that too a little I, I, bit I
4: never intend to change the menu but also I, the menus never going to be perfect so you always have to change it but yeah. kind of so we end up switching up about half the menu and there are a few drinks that have been on for a long time Safe is one of Matt's. And spin on. And then uh, the other drink we brought today is one of Ally's that has sort of moved into that headspace of being a drink we can't take off.
2: So we've talked about the ambiance and the experience that the uh, guest gets as, uh, uh, you know, uh, when they come to the bar. But we didn't really talk about the drinks. What's the focus, Allie, of, uh, of the bar's uh, sort of message as far as what's going over the bar?
6: Um, I mean, I just, I want to make people happy. With drinks. Um, so like, we're in such a unique space that you don't have, like, the outside world at all. There could be three feet of snow. It could be 8 million degrees, and you're transported into something special. So like
2: Right, I think it's important to note that the up-and-up is semi-subterranean, right? You go down about 8 to 10 steps before you get in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no you, windows. No windows. Yeah, you're kind of in a bunker.
6: Um, so a guest can come in, and, you know, I want a Manhattan, and it's, Three thousand degrees out with one hundred percent humidity, but you're transported um, into a different space. So um, I think having a breadth of um, blah, 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 of cocktails on is uh, kind of cool. So a little something for everybody is my my hope.
2: Yeah. Uh, what's it what, so you uh, you brought these? I'm assuming maybe they're the number one sellers. Maybe what what do we got here? Are um, you just brought because you know me? I. I <laughs> they, picked them. They look like they're all spirit stirred cocktails. I, I, I picked there.
4: them and uh, <laughs> I was just looking for something that would be really easy to do, uh, uh, you know, easy easy to bring from the bar. And yeah. then also uh, something that would be, uh, you know, representative of something that you can definitely find if you come to our bar. Right. And these are drinks that, like I said, they, they don't come off.
2: Yeah. How long, so. how long is the menu? How many items? About 20
4: something?
6: No, it's like 30. It, it's oh, 30 it something it's now, it's I think. 33, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think? yeah.
2: 33 cocktails on menu, and percentage, you said, you said 90% of your sales are cocktails, percentage of those that are on the menu, um, or do you know?
4: I don't know. We do a lot of off-menu. We have about 125 drinks that are in our old menu Rotation, Rolodex sure. that are things that have been on the menu in the past. Um, And uh, we do make those uh, as that's kind of our first line. When someone wants something off menu, we try to go to something that was from us. And then if we can't fill the need that way, then we go a step further away. So it's hard to say, but I would say that uh, uh, probably 85 to 90 percent of the of that 90 percent figure is our drinks. Whether it's on the menu, current or, or past, yes. Yeah. A past menu
2: drink. That's, I mean, that's incredible. Like, that's the goal. You know, uh, I, I always an- analogize that it's, uh, you know, the bar menu is like the menu at the deli, right? They got a bunch of sandwiches listed there. They got a bunch of maybe special sauces, special bread. They know exactly how to make them, how quickly they can make them. They know exactly what it costs. But they also have all this meat and cheese, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like they want to drive you to the menu. And I love the fact that you want to not only drive them to the menu, but if they want to go off menu, you want to drive them to a past menu. Right, It's a drink you know. You know it works. It's been tested. It's been approved. That's pretty smart.
5: Yeah, I mean, we have a... Uh,
2: you guys not drinking with us? You just made us one for each of us.
5: No, uh, no bespoke cocktails. Nothing, nothing made that has not been previously made, yeah. tested, and gone through. Because you don't know. Something might be great, first couple sips, and after five minutes, it completely changes. Uh, and when we do a new menu, the first thing we do is we ask all the bartenders, what's everybody asking for that we don't have? Mm-hmm. And we use that as kind of our starting point to... Try and come up with stuff that will fill that. that do you keep like managed? running
2: tabs? You know, like do you have like a, a either a notebook or a digital place where it's like, oh, I got asked for, you know, so again, 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 tick, tick, tick. I got enough Sotols, and now it's time to get Sotol.
5: Not that specific. More, you know,
2: it's a little bit more organic. Yeah, um, yeah, we do stuff like that at, uh, at the bar as well. Um, when we when we make a drink that hasn't been on the menu, we put that drink as a button in the machine with a count on it, and we count it down. Um, from 150. Once it once we've sold it off menu 150 times, it's eligible to be on the menu. This does not mean that it will be on the menu, but now it's eligible. That's a great idea.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's
2: cool. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, this is delicious. Um, yeah, that little that little tiny hint of green spice on the backside of this Negroni style cocktail is giving me a nice warm feeling. Um, let's talk about drinking, Haim. Mm-hmm. You don't do it anymore.
4: Don't do it. Um, no. How long has it been now? It has been. Over three years.
2: Over it's three. Been,
4: it's been three years and four months.
2: And uh, you know, you're one of the sort of like somewhat outspoken folks in our field who's uh, a leader in and 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 not drinking. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know, like your name comes up in these conversations all the time. I don't want to drag you out into it if you don't want to get into no, it right it's now. Fine. But uh, how does that how's that going for you? Do you get any? Give me give me the positives and the negatives.
4: There are definitely a lot more positives. I think that. Uh, uh, talking about either not drinking or or choosing to drink less is a much more common thing in our industry Mm -hmm. uh than it was three years ago i think that there's now a space at the table for non-alcoholic cocktails in a cocktail space that really wasn't something that was being talked about three years ago um as far as the positives go, you say I'm I'm outspoken. I, I don't make a big deal about it. I mean, if people stop drinking, our bar would be out of business. So it's not <laughs> what I'm. You know, I'm not I'm not looking to sell that. But at the same time, uh, I think that there is a value to being in this industry and showing, hey, look, you can choose not to drink. You can be in this industry. You can be successful in this industry. Uh, and you can
2: be you can be a bald barber.
4: And and th- there's a way to do it. So. Um, By putting yourself out there it opens the door for people to come to to you uh, or to somebody else who also does this and say hey I kind of I need this how is it that you do it how can I do it Uh, it certainly helped me uh, knowing there were other people in the industry who had also made this choice and I was able to talk to them about it get my head around how it is that they do their thing and then it helped me feel uh, uh, empowered if you will uh, to go ahead and, and make you know, and make that call. And uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't really change what I do for a living at all.
2: Yeah, agreed. Well, maybe it does. I was about to follow up with, like, um, have you incorporated more NA or low ABV cocktails to the menu because of your, you know, stance? Or have I, you encouraged that from Alec? I mean,
4: it's, it's a there's definitely a, a plan to do that that has not happened yet.
6: No, it's a goal, though, for sure. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting things happening around it and
2: sure. I mean, even going back to what Matt said, like uh, what are people asking for? I'm assuming they're asking for this because I'm getting asked for it at my bars. So I know that it's, mm-hmm. it's out there.
6: Yeah. Um, and I think it like working behind the bar too, it gives you a little bit of a, like, cause we don't do bespoke cocktails or anything like that, but we'll come up with something fun for you and like to really personalize and craft something for somebody. Um, I think is a really cool, um, expression.
2: Yeah. You mentioned more than once, um, you don't do bespoke cocktails. What is that conversation like when you're talking to the guest? when they're? Because I get guests all the time that are basically just driving me to make them something. Yeah,
4: people think that's what they want, and they don't realize that it's <laughs> exactly. not what they want. Yeah. But, but,
3: we're, but how do you tell them that? We're in the
4: business... <laughs> <laughs> Nicely. We, we have to deal with other questions like that all the time. Like, people say, I don't want anything sweet. And we know yeah. that's a lie.
2: Yeah.
4: We know that's a lie. Now, um, so... We're in the business of trying to give people what they really want, not listening to what they do want. And what I've always told the staff uh, is uh, uh, when someone tells you what they want, don't believe them. Yeah. Yep. You need to ask them what, what they like and get them to talk about things they've enjoyed. But if they come in and they say, I want a cocktail, not sweet, really herbaceous. I don't want it to be sweet at all. Yeah. Not sweet. Um, you're you're going to bring them something they're not going to drink. So with the bespoke cocktail, they're asking for, they think they're going to get something better if someone made something up for them right on the spot.
2: Yeah, never. I, I disagree with that um, wholeheartedly.
4: Of course. But I think that uh, uh, oftentimes just getting the impression that a bartender has selected something for them based on their taste is enough to satisfy that, yeah. And so, you know, our team. There's a certain point, Ali. W- would you say where someone starts talking about something, and and when you're working the floor, you're working the bar. There's a certain point where you say, "I got this." Oh yeah.
2: Absolutely. And then you go
4: and you pick something that was on a menu on a menu. Sure. And you make it for them. Yeah. And you tell them what it's called, and you tell them what's in it, and some people, for them, that's enough. Some people mistakenly believe it was
3: made up on the spot for them, but if that's what they want to think, and that helps them have. a I good mean, that's time. part of the smoke and mirrors, yeah, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I think ultimately what those people want is they don't they don't necessarily want to you know have it their way. They don't want the 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 you know what I call to Burger King it. Which you know. Uh, also, by the way, if you ever try to go and have it your way at Burger King, they will look at you like you have five heads. But that's beside the point. Like, I think what they want is not necessarily like to craft their own drink. They just want like someone to say, okay, I hear what you're saying, I hear this, I hear this, I hear this, I think this will be a special experience that is curated for you, you know?
5: They want individualism.
3: Exactly, yeah.
5: And at those prices, you know, how would you, you know, why would you blame somebody? You order an expensive steak, you want it cooked the way you want it. You don't want to just say, I'll just have the steak and do whatever.
3: Yeah, and you don't want it on like a paper plate either. You want to, you know, have someone come down, put it down in front of you, explain it to you, maybe crack some pepper on it by hand. I don't know, but you want... It's not its not just the flavor of it. It's the experience of ordering it. Right. And just I suddenly
2: get the person. sense that Greg has never been to a steakhouse. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> and our staff is, is very
5: good at what's more important than coming up with a brand-new drink on the spot for somebody. They're very good at making the guest feel like they have taken the time to listen to what this person has asked for, listen to what they've said, thought about all the drinks available, and... Picked something that they think the person will like.
2: Yeah, and that all has to come back to training, right? Yeah. Let's talk about training. What goes on at the up and up? How do you, how do you train your staff? I'm...
4: Well,
5: because I remember so...
2: you used to do a lot of fun stuff when you were at the Gin Palace next door to me at Mori Margot.
4: We. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> the good thing this is this is radio. <laughs> um... <laughs>
4: You'll have to tell me about that fun stuff because I don't I, I don't remember all of it, um, <laughs> but uh, for training, um, we so uh, I think the thing to put up front, and this is really strongly where Allie comes in on this also, because uh, Allie does all of our behind the bar training. But uh, we don't hire bartenders. We we made a decision a couple years ago where we were going to stop hiring new bartenders and we were just going to train from within. So everybody comes in as a bar back or a host and they work their way up and by the time they finish bartender training they've worked every position in the entire bar Um, so no matter what happens we're flexible Um, people can work any station and also they have empathy because when there's a new hire they can guide that person through that process because they've worked their job they know how to do it, they know how to do it well Um,
2: and they also have empathy for the fact that I can understand what you're going through on a busy time because I've been in that position. Absolutely. And I think that's that's um, huge.
4: Uh, and so for, uh, for Behind the Bar, and Ali can speak more to this, uh, but it's really a matter of untraining people from whatever they know before, but also in a lot of cases, we've got people coming to us who maybe have never even worked in a bar before, or if they have, they haven't bartended. So we're getting a chance to really, really make people our own and train them Uh, how to do things our way, uh, 100%. Um, When it comes to other aspects, uh, the way that our door works is a really big part of how we do business. I'm really focused on communication and how communication happens between staff and guests. So there's a lot of training about how to listen to people, how to ask questions, how to listen to answers, how to ascertain whether the information you've gotten from them is accurate and you can rely on it, and how to make people feel comfortable. Um, and I think that a, a big part of the training is training people to be um, good communicators and empathetic to the people that they're talking to.
2: Where do you find your expertise in this that you can, can then train someone? Where, 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 what, what part of your background has given you all these tools? Is, is there a direct answer? Maybe there's not.
4: I mean, I think that... You are
2: a good communicator. I've always thought that about you.
4: Oh, thank you. I started, <laughs> I started thinking a lot about this years ago uh, in, in bartending. Um, really, when I started working with Matt at Inotech La Corrie Bar, which is going back in our history together, 10 2009, years. 2009, yeah. Over, over 10 years. I really started really wanting to pick apart, how come when I say this, a guest says this? How come when I do this, a guest perceives this? And the perception is never what I think it should be, and the response is never what I think it should be. And I started wanting to really play with that. And I actually played with it a lot more at Gin Palace um, in talking to people and the strange ways that conversations would go. And eventually, um, I really started to observe the connection between uh, uh, what people perceive and how they feel. And how can we, in the way that we act, and the way that we talk about what we do, and even the physical qualities of the space, how can we better influence people uh, to feel such a way that enables them to enjoy themselves more, if that makes sense. As far as expertise, I mean, dealing with thousands of bar guests is and trying to pay attention sure yeah and now that i don't drink i have a lot more time on my hands to you know really think about other well like
2: maybe at least you remember more
4: well (laughs) i wish that were true um but i don't work behind the bar anymore i'm focused almost entirely on the front of house and especially working the door and talking to people on their way in right and um So whether that qualifies as expertise, I I don't know. But I think that uh, when you bartend for a long time and you pay attention to people, um, uh, eventually you start kind of...
2: Some of it begins to finally sink in. (laughs) Ideally. I mean, 20 years in, it's starting to sink in on me. Matt, what's your role on the daily? Are you on the bar, on the floor?
5: Um, I'm mostly in the office. Yeah. Uh, I'm general manager. Somebody
2: has to take that role.
5: Yeah, I do all that. And I mean, my, you know... In the beginning, it was sort of everything. Me and Heim did most of the menu back in the beginning. Um, you know, I bartended so many years back. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me now, it's just kind of keeping the place physically together.
2: Yeah. That's I mean, that's I a that's in. a huge job. Yeah. it's And it's pretty much uh, thankless. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, so we're going to move right on. Allie. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> Talk to us about no, the fun part. Of I mean, that's farm. a tough fucking job, and, and nobody likes to talk about it because it's kind of boring, but if without it, you, you disappear.
3: Well, it's,
5: it's, it is it's boring, but it's also very rewarding because I've, I've been in places where all the accounting and bookkeeping and all that stuff is done off-site, and you're just flying blind all the time, and it's really nice to be able to do it and be the one that does it because you know at any moment exactly where things stand. What needs to be done, uh, but you know we always joke that the higher up you go in uh, bar ownership, the closer you are to being a plumber.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to, got to have a big set of keys, uh, and you got to, you know, know how to work every aspect of the mechanics of the place. Mm-hmm. I get a, it.
5: Keep a spare set of clothes.
2: Yeah, keep the ice machine running. Always. Keep the toilet from being clogged up. Allie, let's talk about that training. So now, Haim just told me you don't hire bartenders anymore, so you're getting people who have maybe never been behind a bar, and you got to look at them and say, i got a 33-item menu to teach you, plus probably a Rolodex of things you need to at least be aware of from your past menus. That's how I have to do it at more as well. Because people still come in nine years later and order things from the first menu. Right. Right?
6: Um, I mean, I think... When you have someone who's super green, they don't have any bad habits yet, which is kind of an interesting thing to work around. You don't have to like untrain people how to like keep their sink clean and stuff. So that's kind of... That works out to our favor. Um, it's really important to me to be able to be a mentor and to bring people up. Uh, I feel like especially in New York, it's really hard um, when you're first here to like break into the industry and get a job behind the bar. Um, so this is kind of my way to give back a little bit um, in that capacity but yeah I think the way we do it everybody has such a working knowledge of the bar and the ins and and outs of everything after Sure by the the time they get there yeah Um, so that they're not surprised by anything Um, and then it just becomes the mechanics of it and me yelling at people to keep the sink clean
3: (laughs) Well and the the nice thing about hiring from within is that you know if you you know maybe they've never held a jigger before in their entire lives, but they've been on the host stand for, you know, a couple of months. So you've been able to vet them and make sure that they're not, you know, an insane person or a werewolf, you know?
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They're not going to flake out on you and not show up for a shift. I
6: think, yeah. And like, it builds like a, a passion for the place. And like, you've put in so much work. If you've started out on the door and then come in to be a bar back and then, you know, go through training with me, you've put in so much time and so much work and so I think it like um, I don't know. It, it builds a passion for the place. Yeah. But. So
3: by by the time they get to you, they're invested personally yeah. in the space and their role there.
2: And, right. and and the space itself, it's 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 very success, right? Mm-hmm. What percentage, if any, of the folks don't want to shift positions? Does that happen? Like, does rare, someone come in and rarely. does someone come in and say, "I just want to run the door"?
4: It's very rare. Uh, and if people come in saying that, at a certain point, they change their mind.
2: Yeah. They, they see the they see the the, the good of, of of learning all these different things.
5: And to go back to what Ali said, I mean, being able to follow specs is about five percent of what makes someone a good bartender. Of course, all yeah. the other stuff you learn on the door as bar back, dealing with people, dealing with team members, finding out how the place flows, how to help your fellow team members in need. That's that's what's important, and that's the stuff that we can see in people before we actually get them behind a bar, and we can tell, okay, this person's really really got an aptitude for that.
2: Three of you sitting here, you're at the top of the house, behind the front of the house, and you're kind of back of the house in this scenario. How many members on the team total? I
4: think uh, 11. 11 right now.
2: Right, so it's still a small house, right, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and, and everyone currently can do every job
4: um no because, but they're
2: but they're building towards that yeah
4: exactly uh um, so you've got some
2: people in the in the program who are maybe that i've only done the door so far i've barbacked some right but i'm then, climbing the ladder and
4: then we have th- three of our bartenders including ali uh actually came on before we instituted that uh so they're 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 uh, they were hired as bartenders grandfathered and sort of. and, then, and then the rest of the bar team uh, came on after that point And so they've done they've done all, all the positions.
2: Do you um, do yeah, you I g- worked the door, though. do you retro?
4: Oh, yes. Yeah, but you didn't you didn't get hired as a door person yeah. you got hired to
2: bartend Yeah, do you retrofit those guys do you say okay? You need to pull a couple of bar shifts a couple of door shifts
4: um so no. you can,
2: so you can have no, that empathy door,
4: door was always a part of it. Yeah. Um, for, 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 for bartenders, they had to have a door shift as a, a part of their, uh, their schedule. It's been that way since the beginning. Right. So it was no different for any of the bartenders that we still have on staff that were hired as bartenders. Gotcha. Barback, uh, is, was not part of that deal. Um, so, I mean, I think that at this point, Ali and I have both worked a few barback shifts by accident. Um, but, um,
2: yeah, when in need. Not. Yeah. Um, how uh, we're getting towards the end here, but I'm I'm just curious about this because I love this idea, but I feel like there are so many hurdles in the way just based on the way that people are. Um, how 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 do the bar how do people feel when they have to get moved to a shift that maybe they didn't expect? Like tonight, sorry, tonight you're on on the door. You're not on the bar.
4: Well, that that only would happen if uh, someone sure got injured or sick. Yeah, and at that point. I ask them. Yeah. I say, hey, here's the situation. I need you to do this. Could you, can you do this? And...
2: There's a lot of bartenders are kind of divas.
4: They, I mean, they, <laughs> but when you have someone who's really invested know, in the anything. team, <laughs> and they're invested in the bar, and they don't want to let anybody down, I mean, in those circumstances, people say yes.
2: Yeah.
6: We're such a small staff, too. We're all, everybody looks out for each other, like, fiercely. It's yeah. It's really cool.
2: What's your um, attrition rate? You've been there for three you said mm-hmm. Allie. you guys have been not there from a, the beginning
4: yeah no i mean not <laughs> a lot really not a lot half of our bar team i mean adrian and peter have been there longer than you
6: peter started the week before me the week
4: before and it,
6: then adrian started a couple months after me
4: yeah so they're both coming up all three of them are coming up on three years um and that's that's half of the bar team right now so
2: yeah yeah Pretty incredible, um, guys. Uh, uh, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you or find out anything about the Up and Up, where do they go?
5: Website's the best place. Yeah. Yeah. What's the website? Uh, www.upandupnyc.com. Up All spelled and up. up. Got it. All spelled spell A N D U P N Y C.com. com, Dot com. Yeah. <laughs>
2: everybody knows how the internet works
4: yeah. well it could be dot, <laughs> it, could be dot org, it, could be, it could be dot uh, yeah right dot edu net. yeah yeah uh
2: dot gov, you know. any social media you want to plug you got an instagram for the up and up instagram, or for yourself
4: yeah i mean instagram uh the up and up nyc the up our, and up the up and up nyc and that's that's where we're that's where we're most active on social media. Everybody is you these days. days. I mean, it's... it's I don't it's, even ask about the other ones anymore. It's the best
2: one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people... I always said Twitter is for your audience, Facebook is for your friends, and Instagram is for everybody who can't read. <laughs> 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 but your bar is beautiful, by the way. We didn't get to talk about that, but the design of the bar is very beautiful. You got that crazy wallpaper that you're known for. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, you get it custom-made? Or you just Uh, found some cool-ass wallpaper? No, no.
5: Well, well, my wife, Tanya, is responsible for the interior design of the uh, three bars I opened in New York. And uh, she is a design historian. Uh, Oh. So she...
2: That's fascinating. Get her on the show next.
5: Yeah. her, (laughs) uh, Her thing is always the kind of mix... You know, style. She's very good at knowing how to mix the styles. So the wallpaper uh, is actually a William Morris wallpaper uh, from 1892 that was actually going out of print for the first time since 1892. Wow. When we called them up and said, "Can we get some rolls of this?" and they said, uh, "Yeah, you better, you better take them." We bought almost all of them. Uh, and then uh, I'd love to think it was just because of people going to the up and up. But uh, suddenly that wallpaper started showing up everywhere, and it's back in, back in print. And Man, kept go. the streak alive. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's
2: pretty amazing. Yeah, your bar is beautiful, um, and I'm overdue to come there. Al, you got an Instagram or something you want to plug real fast? No? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> she looked at me like I was like, crazy, like I was at Burger King lines. trying to have it my way. Uh, well, guys, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, Matt, hi, and Allie from the Up and Up. Really a great pleasure to have you on, and, and I'm way overdue to come visit you at the bar. Um, maybe as soon as my book deadlines are over, I'll be a free man again, and I can come out and check you out. All right. Uh, but thank, thank you. Thanks for being on the show, guys. Cheers. Thank you.
3: Cheers. Bye.
0: So you don't, don't shun the, the, the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows no. that country music's gonna save your soul. The rebel oh. groove in that rhythm and blues that sing. It's gonna get you signed.
2: The, the speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our precious content and to learn more about our 10 year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter.